Hey everyone, this is Jesse, George, and Robert, and this is BitBytes, an analytical discussion about gaming. Thanks for joining us. Hey Jesse. Hey Robert. Hey George. Oh wait, he's not here. Oh no, we're, we're missing one. We don't have sponsors yet for this podcast, so we need to make money, um, and sometimes that requires us to work late, so sorry. It's true. Um, George, we'll miss your opinion and your perspective, but I'm kind of glad you're not here because we have a lot to cover and I don't have time for your comments. Yeah, we don't want to hear your comments, George. This is great because I said something about this being a competition, which it is, to see who is the biggest fan of video game music, just generally speaking. And now there's only two people to compete with. down to two. Yes. Who's going to come out on top? I don't know. Let's see. (laughs) We're in the arena. It's the only two left. Okay, so we're talking about video game music. Again, we talked about it a lot, but we didn't get, we just scraped the surface. And it was sort of a little all over the place because when we get excited about things, uh, we become less organized and we just want to um, spat out as much as we can. I like how you put that. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what happens when I start to get excited and ramble about the things I love and passionate about, so... But hopefully the audiences can connect with that, at least the passion part, maybe not the uh, following us. But I think this will be more straightforward because it's kind of just like a series of, hey, let's listen to the part of this track and then talk about it a little bit and then do it like 20 more times. Yeah. More or less. We want to step away from the broad overlook and just pick some a few select songs that we just found that were really cool. And we want to explain why they're cool. So strap in, because this is the deep dive. dive. If you thought it was nerdy last time, get ready. Okay. This first example is one that we can all relate to. All of us who call ourselves video game fans have played, or at least are pretty familiar with Super Mario 64, the game that is the apex of the golden age of gaming, if I may give it that subtitle. Oh, really? Even though it's a clunky piece of junk, and it's really hard to complete. Ocarina of Time fans would tell you differently, but okay. This part of the uh, Trinity. I don't know what the third piece is, but it goes along. I don't know. I don't don't know what that is. Okay, so there's a song that plays in the first, not in the overworld where you start the game, but the very first world, the first picture subworld that you go into. It's a bomb-on battlefield. It's kind of like a foray into what the game actually is. So in my mind, this is like a main theme, even though it's like a, technically it's a sub theme. And I'll play this excerpt from this song real quick. And it's gonna pick up at what's kind of like the main hook or the chorus, the tag end of that, and then jump right into the bridge section. Doesn't that just take you right back? Oh my gosh. So I wanted to do a little compare and contrast with, if we're in video game world, this would be considered secular music or non-video game music. I think most people are familiar with Steely Dan, huge group in the 70s, massively popular when they were big. This particular song was not huge, but we're coming in at like three, three and a half minutes into the song. This is kind of like, 
at the end where it changes character a lot. Like a lot of the song has kind of like a minor blues riff thing, but it is interesting here because, and George is missing this. He's missing the sweet moment where I am basically like giving him the perfect opportunity to come at me with our like ongoing debate over whether anything can be original. The takeaway here is just the level of similarity in the melody. So let me play it real quick and then I'll talk about it. That is Michael McDonald singing the BGVs, that really high stuff, and it is so sweet. So, I don't know if you can hear it immediately, but the phrasing is almost exact. It's rhythmically slightly different, and it sounds a little bit different in the song because there's harmony stacked under it, so it has some additional like chord structure to like what you're actually hearing. Let's but hear the guitar lead. Yeah, let's let's play it one more time back to back. To George's point that he would be making right now. One of those is original. One of them obviously came way before the other. Hint, hint, it's the Steely Dan tune. But it's kind of interesting because for musical composers, it doesn't matter what they're writing for, film, video games, whatever, they're kind of carrying around this, whatever their experience and understanding is of their art form, it's, it's informed by all these impressions that they have that come from other artists and their interaction with whatever medium that they're a creator in. And... Is it a coincidence? Is it, I, there's not anything in particular to me that says to, that this specific hook is super strong. Like you can hum it um, and it's not overly recognizable. I mean, it's not like, even within the Steely Dan tune, this isn't like the main hook of the song. So it's kind of like an interesting thing to linger in the mind of the composer, which in this case is Koji Kondo, who did like all of the Nintendo, big Nintendo stuff for forever. Well, I don't know if this will help you make your case, but uh, Koji Kondo has been known to do that with a lot of his stuff, like the, the Zelda's Lullaby. Also, very heavily inspired slash pulled slash ripped off, whatever you want to call it, from another song that predates it. egregious like even the midi sound to it it's like at least with your example it's very different instruments and sounds to the same melody that compared to this Yeah, so, you know, I, I think there's a few other examples of Koji Kondo pulling heavy inspiration from pieces. I don't, I don't know. It's very hard, especially as an artist, to, like, you really love something so much and then seeing it so blatantly ripped from something else and repurposed. Uh, I know there's 
in the art world, there's sort of a percentage of like, how much did you remix this for your own use? And at what point does it become yours? Um, and I think that line is different for a lot of people. And I think with music, it can be even more difficult. There's only so many notes that you can there's play. There's not many. <laughs> there's so, really not. Yeah. Um, a lot of the differentiation comes with how you play it, what instruments you play it with. Yeah, I don't. I don't have an answer for this one. I just, it is something interesting to point out though. And I guess you can decide for yourself how right or wrong it is. I'm so glad you said that. That's a great example. Yeah. I mean, I think I would have to know a little bit more in the history of the context of both of those and know how much of an actual coincidence or how intentional that was. But even if it was all the way tilted towards being completely intentional, just like direct rip, I think there's something to taking what is obviously that's a beautiful line uh, it's a, played a little bit differently in the original like the other accompaniments different but I don't know if you have like this platform where you're reaching a bunch of people and you need a beautiful piece is it okay to heavily borrow I don't know I can see like an argument for it maybe I personally listen to so many remixes such as artists you know, online they take songs that are beloved and they remix them, put their own spin on it, but it's essentially the same song. In none of those cases do they ever say, you know, this is 100% original, this is mine. It's always like, oh man, we love this song, so we wanted to do our own spin because we love it. And it's always, you know, giving credit where credit is due. And, you know, some of these people just put it out there for free, and I think that's similar to fan art or fan fiction or work, creative work that's inspired by content uh, characters that aren't theirs. I think if it's fine to put out there into the world, if it's free, if it's, you know, you're just sharing what you've done for yourself with others and you're not trying to make money off that. But there's also quite a bit of artists out there that have done these remixes and they're selling albums with them. So some of them are definitely more original sounding um still like all the branding that goes with it is still branded to that original ip but (laughs) is that okay to be to be selling your own albums and making money no no it's not i I don't think so not at all it's like then you start getting okay well like take video games out of it right and the fan community that's making custom content you have artists out there that are parody artists you know, hmm. like your Weird Al, you know, takes the same exact music and just just twists on the lyrics, sells that, but that's parody. So that's been deemed lawful. And it, that's his entire career, basically, right? Yeah. Or at least musical career. <laughs> so Even if you're in the lines of the law, it's like, it just feels like theft. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how to say it another way. It's when you work so hard on something and you get it just right like i don't want to rob anyone else of that because if you are good at what you do you know what that feels like at least one or two times even if it's a small victory for you to take that from someone else and say that it's yours that is just like unforgivable in my book i don't care if you're legally protected it's bullshit (laughs) (laughs) so no weird al albums in your on your bookshelf um weird al's okay because like like this sounds really bad but it's not really music it's like a really high grade stupid church video it's like he's taking he's just like a one-for-one 
transcription of the music. It's completely the same, and then he's throwing silly lyrics on top that have nothing to do with actual source material. He's making a except profit for making jabs it. at it. He's making a profit off of it. Right. So the difference between that and a corny church video is the corny church video is being played in front of people that, you know, they're not getting paid for it. It's something they did with their own time and their own money. Or with the congregation's money. Yeah, that's their own Whoopsies. Uh, choice. But, yeah. uh, you know, they're not trying to profit off that that piece. Right. So Weird Al, eat <laughs> and die. Oh. Your career is a lie and we hate you. Just kidding. Only I do. That wow, that was I did not expect to go there. <laughs> I don't really call that analysis kind of like, hey, this sounds like that. So let's do one more because they're fun. Okay. So this one is from or the originally this piece was written for Kirby All Star for Super Nintendo. So let's listen to it real quick. I love the music from this game, like, ugh, it has such heavy nostalgia, I am so not having clear judgment about any of this music. Okay, so this is a song by The Animals. This was a huge song, so to do a direct rip is more of an homage than anything, I think, in this case, but let's listen to The Animals real quick. Like obviously a direct rip. This is different from the Super Mario 64 in my mind because it's not written into part of a bigger piece that has original elements and then they're kind of like borrowing musical language from another place to enrich their piece. That would be more of the Super Mario thing. This is like a, it's sort of a one for one and it's just kind of like a nod because there's so much strong, well-written, and arranged music in this game already for them to just kind of borrow something as like a one for one. I don't know, I think it works. This song specifically. There are a lot of songs in media that are just known for eliciting a certain feeling and a certain mood. And those songs keep going, people keep using them in movies or TV shows. And they know by using those songs, they're purposely getting a certain, they're trying to pull a certain emotion or a certain mood, atmosphere, just by immediately putting that song in there. So there's so many, but like, some really easy go-to ones would be like a training montage theme, right? Like you would do that, that Rocky theme. Um, or like, if you're doing more corny comedy, it'd be like the Eye of the Tiger. Or Those are songs that people rip so much, but you know, it, no one looks at it with ill intent because it thinks it's ill intent because it's almost like they're paying their respect to that song. They, they know that song. That song did so well that you know, it just 
it became a part of uh, the zeitgeist and it's used over and over in other media. This is one of those songs, like when I first heard it, I was like, oh yeah, this is used in a lot of scenarios and you'll see that in video games do that. Like, I keep coming back to Zelda because that's just what I know, but in Twilight Princess, you go to the hidden village. deliberate pan shot across the ground you see his boots and tumbleweed roll by where he's at like the empty ghost town that's supposed to and they even play the music that like that twangy music that plays during the so many of the movies the old cowboy movies so yeah it's like that western yeah yeah exactly and then they you know i talked about this in part one of this podcast last week but that the theme they play is the Hyrule field theme mixed with instruments that elicit the sound of like that the cowboy and opponent's theme which is perfect because you got the horse theme it's it's like okay what's everything western we can throw in this music but it's still at the core of it the Hyrule field theme so this tune was used to elicit that reaction, and I, I think it, it's fine in that scenario. They're not trying to sell it as something original. They purposely want you to, to think of the song. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> people are like this but i forgot about that entire sequence because it's kind of like in terms of gameplay and story it's like an aside almost yeah it's a little side story i mean it's part of the main plot you have to go through it right but even the town is hidden away it's not it's only accessible through the one tunnel yeah I but just, it still gets that like attention musically yeah really cool. expect him to take off his green cap and put on the cowboy <laughs> and stick of a Toothpick in his mouth, and yeah. <laughs> that would be badass, like Clint Eastwood. Yes. Okay. So, my other big video game love, Xenoblade Chronicles. I'm going to be comparing a few pieces of music between Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and 2. We're skipping X. I have more to say on X. I do love that soundtrack. But X is sort of not a direct sequel. I have theories, so many theories, but we're not going to talk about that today. Um, is it the ugly cousin? No, I love it. It's, uh, it's, I like it more than the first Xenoblade. Ooh. So we're just going to set that one aside. Story-wise, Xenoblade 2 is, I would, I would call it a direct sequel, but and I'm trying not to spoil things here. I, I'm not, I do not want to because it's such a great reveal um, closer to the end of the game. They give you hints throughout the game, but of how the two games are connected. It's not like your typical, and then 10 years later, this story happened. It's not like that. You don't see a single character or place from the first game in the second game. And like, they kept selling it as the sequel when they put it out there. And then as I'm playing through this game and I'm not seeing anyone from the first game, I'm like, how is this a sequel? Oh, they just must be saying that, 
you know, they keep it as a series and sell it. But the ending connected the two in a very intimate way. And I'm not, I'm not going to say why or how, but I just want you to know that these two games, they're like two sides of the same coin, uh, the way they're connected. And the music reflects that beautifully. Robert, you have better terminology than I do when it comes to dissecting music. So maybe you can help me out here, but we're going to listen to a little bit of Engage the Enemy, which is a main fight song that happens sort of in your classic Japanese trope of the hero is down and it looks like they can't win, but we're going to pull from the bottom of our gut the power to overcome. So it's always that awesome turnaround moment, that comeback moment. So the first one is Engage the Enemy. We'll play this one. I won't be defeated. Just throw in all of Shulk's lines here. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know how you describe that, but that main melody where it's rolling up and down, that's what I want you to focus on for this next one. song counterattack from Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is spiritually plays the same role you know the comeback song they put a little twist on the end of that but that rolling note thing they keep coming back to it I'm deeply tied to these songs because just the games have trained me that like yeah I'm gonna be awesome when these songs play so. <laughs> you ready to fight now yeah I'm ready to Let's fight go. <laughs> So, you know, just by using that same melody, twisting it slightly on the, on the ends of those, it's, it's giving you hints to the relationships between the games before the story tells you. And I, I love soundtracks that, that do that in both video games and movies. So that one, I would say, those are the only sections of the songs that really mirror that well. In other cases, they just directly remix themselves. Uh, there's from Xenoblade 1, a song called You Will Know Our Names, uh, your, your classic fight song. I think it happens during bigger boss battles. guitar in that stuff oh, oh my god the guitar in this it's like this squealy I'm a sucker for orchestra mixed with electric guitar like iron man pacific rim basically anything ramajwadi does i like mm. so you love <laughs> super smash 
Super That's Smash like all cool. Super Smash. Well, like in the last, uh, in the last game, the Wii U version, they basically took all of the themes and they electric guitarified them. So good. <laughs> yeah, it gets you pumped. Um, and so Xenoblade Two, they took that song, they remixed it, they called it "You Will Recall Our Names." difference they're like what's a synonym for remember <laughs> oh i know it's a little twist but it's essentially the same song also i'm pretty sure the first you know blade was a lot of midi and this is fully orchestrated so i i don't know i don't know if what i just said was accurate but it feels like a lot of the soundtrack of the first game is sounds a lot more electronic so, you know, you get that fuller feeling with the second soundtrack. But so many people, if you go read, go through and read the comments to these um, two soundtracks, a lot of them are like, oh, this would play well over the second game's, you know, this cutscene. But the second game soundtrack would fit so well over this, the first game's cutscene. It's, and it's purposeful, and I'm really glad they took the time to um, do that. And I don't feel like they're blatantly ripping themselves off. I, they think it's they're rewarding the people who stick with the series and I thought that's really cool for the audience is it merely fan service I mean is it like oh yeah I know that song and now it's slightly different that's cool I think with the you will know our names you will recall our names um, that I think yes um, especially since such a large part of these games is you don't have to do this but there are plenty of tyrant, massive monsters roaming the world that you don't, you know, you don't have to go fight them. Unless you're playing post-game, you're not gonna be powerful enough to defeat them anyway, and songs like this play during that. So I think the really like invested Xenoblade fans are the ones that keep playing post-story. Um, they level up to defeat these, these big baddies, and they probably heard that song a lot the comeback songs I think that's because it's subtler like it'll evoke the same emotion by using that same tune and I, I it did not hit me what I was hearing until after the fact till I was just listening to it by itself and I was listening to both soundtracks back to back I was like wait a second it's the same <laughs> yeah but it's like it's cool it's an easter egg it's an yeah. audio easter egg and you know me I love easter eggs and crossovers so no yeah that is that's really cool but I love that example because it's like, I don't know, I guess it's slight, slightly lesser known than Zelda, generally. And there's less games to pull from. Um, and to your point about it being like fully MIDI programmed in the first versus the second, it sounds more orchestrated. I think my best guess, based on absolutely no context, is that you're definitely right about the first game. I bet the second one's like a mix because the like quality of samples that you can use to program stuff is so much higher quality now. Mm -hmm. It's like they'll have, you're like you're triggering a recording of a live sound of someone who recorded something in like a really high quality studio. But I did notice it was kind of interesting. Like in the first one, it went through like genre changes as it was ramping up so it started with like a really heavy heavily syncopated synthesizer driven electronic thing and then it morphed into like it's like oh and then there's a guitar and then there's an orchestra yeah. and then it's like <laughs> as it ramps up it's like opening up to all these other genres but it still had that like bass layer underneath driving it 
music that you know isn't just one note you know like even if it's a beautiful metal melody like Zelda's Lullaby for example beautiful I like it but I can't listen to it over and over again it's just it becomes drone like uh, songs like these <clears throat> where it's obviously made to match sort of a very cinematic cutscene moments it, it has it, it's a roller coaster of emotion within the song and I love songs that do that um, that start slow and then ramp up and just feel epic by the end of it mm-hmm. so I, I fucking love songs like that and I do I think that the older like it doesn't have to just be orchestrated music that can capture that I do think and I'll list these um, as some of my favorites later on but some of the older chiptune sounding music can capture that um, I, I think it's difficult but again so we'll get there yeah absolutely uh, yeah, in both versions of that song, too, there's a, it's not surprising, I would have to know the context, but there's a uh, rewarding level of musical complexity, too, just because, like, isn't this jarring thing where you're, like, it feels like two songs that were mashed together, and then they have, like, an eight-bar transition where it's obviously going from one feeling to another. It's kind of like this, like, subtle build, and you kind of, like, gently takes you to you know the height through clever musical composition you're able to kind of like mask the transition i bet game developers would love it and there are cutscenes like this where they control the speed and pacing and cuts right the you got to read the text in the designated time or else you're gonna miss it but a lot of cutscenes aren't like that you are prompting the text so sometimes you might sit on a certain line for a while and the music can't be ramping up into the later cutscene content when you're talking about something serious and dire. Like, so having music that can, like you're saying, easily cut and keep rolling and repeating without getting boring, but naturally transition into the next phase, very important. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that to me, that's like, that is the sign of video game music done well, like within a single project. So if you look at like the entire, all of the musical pieces that are composed for a single game, the number one marker to me that that game was assuming that it has some level of story to tell is if it has high degree of variation in it within a single song, within the entire game, within like a subset of pieces or whatever. To me, that's like, that's such a win. I'm, I'm just like partial to it. Yeah. It's not objectively better, but I just like it. So you have a higher chance of it being objectively better. True. Yes. Well, I said we get to it later, but I guess we're at it now. So I've not played Undertale, but I've listened to quite a bit of the soundtrack because of how awesome it is. Did you get a tip on this or did you just check it out? Well, like I said earlier, I like to listen to remixes and I was probably listening to a remix that someone did of a Zelda game and this naturally popped up on my autoplay, um, which then is like, oh, this is good. I like this. Let's listen to more music from this game. But I think that you can still get that cinematic sound that just that grand overwhelming feeling of like triumph from like the older chiptune sounds i think undertale accomplishes this well uh, the song i'm specifically referencing is hopes and dreams
So, obviously this isn't just exclusively the chiptone techie sound. There's ramp up to it and they incorporate other, other sounds and instruments. But this very modern game is made, it's designed in a way that it, it looks old. It looks like the old, you know, top-down Zelda story playthrough type game. Uh, <laughs> I'm not doing this game justice probably based on the following. I haven't has. played it either. I can't help yeah, you. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that this is a really good example of, hey, we're not, we're not just moving forward and doing all fully orchestrated, you know, epic cinematic 3D masterpieces. Now, like you still have these indie games like this um, that have this very old style, um, and they're they're sort of trying to match the musical aesthetic. I think there's a lot of people that still like to listen to the old video game tunes for that aesthetic. There's so many remixes and remakes and updates of those tunes. They could easily listen to orchestrated modern takes on old tunes, but there's a lot of people that don't want that. They want the old sound, and I think this soundtrack incorporates it very well. Yeah, it's, it was mostly composed by the creator of the game, which is also really cool because I think you have a more, he has an intimate understanding of the game and can really craft the soundtrack to what he's creating and he knows exactly what type of emotions he's trying to convey at each point of the game. It's, it's a very long, I think it's, there's about 80 something tracks to this. Oh wow. Yeah, it's, it always blows me away, but uh, I think you should give it a listen if you can and maybe it'll urge you to play the game itself. Oh, man, I really need to play the game. A song you just played, it was like full orchestra plus rock band. But it's not like, it's great. It's like the soundtrack itself is remix of so many other things. I think that's awesome because at, at the core of this game, the, the game itself feels like a very fresh remix on those older top-down. And even in yeah. the way it's made and the method, yeah. it's the same thing. Just everything, it has an aesthetic and the music helps with that tremendously. Super Mario Bros. 3 and Super Mario World, Super Mario World reigns supreme. It's not a debate. I can tell you why in detail that is. If you'd like to know more, you can ask me. I'll be happy to share that with you. So this is the athletic theme from that game. It's kind of a really weird piece of music, especially considering what Mario music has sounded like prior to this, because this song is essentially a like parlor song or like a saloon song, but triple the beats per minute. And then you get the gallop when you get on Yoshi, which is very often there's a deliberate use of the gallop feel. It elicits the sound of hooves on the ground for a horse. And you're getting the same kind of like fictional crossover thing with Yoshi obviously here. It's like Mario is abusing Yoshi by punching him in the back of the head, making his tongue come out. We'll talk about that later. Is it messed up that I can't hear that theme without also hearing the Yoshi sound effect? Like in oh yeah, head? it's like, like built in, right? It's, Ow. I can't separate <laughs> the two. Yeah. yeah, no, totally. I love when I hear music in a game and 
it just you get that like the sense of speed it's not like the pacing of the game is super fast but it does encourage you to like the way the levels are designed to i don't know develop like, like some level of expertise so you're kind of like gliding through levels versus like a start stop thing i think the music encourages you to do that so it's kind of the cool. better you get at mario ideally you should be flying through those, right? You oh, yeah. become so good that you know exactly how high a jump's going to be and how far you have to push to float past an enemy. And I, I think that music is urging you, like, get there. Like, it it almost doesn't sound right if you're lingering around. And um, I'm not sure, I don't remember exactly, but is this one of the levels where, like, the screen is constantly pushing to the right? Well, there's a mixture of those types of levels in this game, I think. Yeah. yeah. Because I know me... Already this music is going to make my heart pump and get nervous just with the music alone. Like, yeah. oh, no, the music is telling me I need to go. And then you couple that with the camera pushing constantly to the right. At some point, it's just going to keep going even if you die. The two of those together, solid combo for urgency and suspense. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I love that song. Okay, so second example is Doom. Okay, oh man, I love the music in this game. It's so good. Sorry, Jesse, but here we go. So, the music for this game has a history. Obviously, if you look at the landscape of the game, you look at the visuals, you look at the story and the gameplay for this specific game, you get all of these like main ideas that are all converging together. And there's kind of like this overarching thing of, it's a hellish nightmare, it's violent, it's fast, it's brutal so you have like all of this stuff to work with basically and it all lends itself to a really obvious crossover into an existing musical genre which is metal it's intense it's brutal it's violent so it's like yes why would you just not basically just do that but their original lineup they do that they were literally taking riffs from metallica songs and just inserting them in the game and changing like a part of a lick and there, I think there's some Pantera stuff in there too, which is cool. I mean, it totally works for the first two games. It sets a tone, it does what it needs to, get your blood pumping, it's awesome. The, uh, the composer for the new Doom games has decided to kind of sidestep some of those main themes and to do something slightly different, which I think services the game so much more than the originals did. And it mainly comes from focusing on the way the gameplay feels and matching musical choices to fit that which is perfect because that really that's kind of what it's all about on some level especially with a game like this because it's all gameplay they literally like give the middle finger to the story the entire time they're like oh there's story oh just kidding now it's a big like you know it's all a big joke and then let's just go back into killing stuff so the element of the gameplay that this song in particular does such a good job of lining up with is the fluidity of it so the way the game is it actually prompts you to play this way is to never stop. There's a kind of rhythm to what you're doing where you're constantly moving all the time. Your character does move quickly, but your sense of movement gets calibrated to that fairly quickly. So it's not so much that the character is moving fast relative to objects in the world. It's more of like 
the flow that you get into when you're doing what you need to do forgive me being a little bit artsy here but it has like a swing to it you're thinking a couple steps ahead it's like how much ammo do i have there are these enemies here and you're kind of dancing around them to get to the ammo you need and you know you need to pick a couple off and then you know you go not hide behind something but you kind of like run behind cover where this big thing's shooting at you and whatever and so you're getting into kind of like a uh, a trance almost like, I don't know if that's too far, but that is kind of what it feels like when you're playing the game. It's like when you're on, you feel it and you're like very into it. And I think that's like ultimately what makes this game so fun. It's not any of the like surface level aesthetic things. I think it's the uh, the feeling of developing this flow and the, the song, this song in particular, it gets used as a, um, it ramps up when there's like a huge battle sequence with a ton of enemies all over the place. Um, it does such a good job with it because you are getting like the BPM is fast, but it's played at halftime and you do have double bass pedal going on every eighth note, but it's a swing pattern. So you have all this like Metallica thrash metal stuff, but it's played in a way that actually, I don't know, it's almost like a waltz actually, mm -hmm. which is really cool. I don't know. I just think the, uh, the musical direction for this game just sends it off into the stratosphere relative to what this game could have been if they just kept with the same thing which would have been so easy mm -hmm. just you should be kind to your neighbors and wear headphones when playing <laughs> I, yeah, yeah i would agree that the music i've not played this game but from what you're describing that trance light state would you say it's similar to like comparing a mario platformer versus a sonic platformer the sonic is constantly moving and you're you're within that movement and you're just, you know, there's not time to really stop and think as you're just planning ahead and going with the flow where Mario, it's like, oh, there's boxes over here. I'm going to stop, think, jump. What do you yeah, say? It's definitely. like similar, like it's close to that Sonic. Of you're, you're just constantly moving and you're not stopping. Yeah. Even if you're strategizing, you're still moving. Yeah. Totally. I think the music probably, especially early on when you're learning to get into that state, um, because it's very different than most games, the music is probably helping you get there like you want to subconsciously i think you just start syncing with the music and if you're not if you're like stopping and starting then you feel off you feel like something's wrong and the music is just one of those things that helps get you there yeah such a good guide yeah totally So this is the title theme that is the very first thing that you hear when you play Kirby All-Star. And it's a title pack for the entire game, which is actually a bunch of different games packaged together. So it's setting tone for the entire experience. Five. You can't help but feel happy and feel like Kirby. You look at Kirby, he looks like an adorable fluff ball. The music just is the perfect backup sound to that oh yes love it yes yep it totally is it's super fast it's fun it's light it's epic it's if you slow it down it's surprising how fast it actually is and it has a lot of complexity to it but the main thing i wanted to point out is this very first thing that you hear is a sound element that was used in a different context in the earlier games so it's the warp star sound <laughs> 
but they use it here as kind of like a, because this is so similar in gameplay to the other games, it's kind of like, a, hey, this is a Kirby game is the first message that you get. But musically, it's saying it's setting tempo and it's ramping into, it's giving you your ears a warm up to get into it. It's cool. It works so well. And I don't know who had that idea with a freaking it, brilliant. It fits thematically too with the, the star sound because the star is what moves him. It, it's what teleports him. You're, you're literally teleporting into the song. So it's great. Yeah. yeah. And in the cutscene, he's literally just on the warp star flying around in an open field. So it's perfect. It reminds me of like what they did. You should pull this up. Luigi's Mansion, the main theme for that. They do something similar where they incorporate a sound that's so Luigi just like they incorporated the Warp Star sound that's so Kirby. His quivering, scared <laughs> vocals get incorporated into the main theme. Like, that, it's so Luigi. Just even before this game was a thing, he was always sort of like, oh, I don't know, Mario, right? That's him. <laughs> and they're like, you know what? We're going to put it in the main theme of Luigi's Mansion. Let's roll it. There's a cool relationship between Luigi and the, the rest of the music because it's like they're doing a little conversation, right? Like sometimes they're in sync, but then, you know, sometimes they focus on one or the other. It's Luigi versus the mansion. <laughs> it's very poetic and I like it. Oh my gosh, I love that. That is so good. So yeah, I the beautiful example of incorporating something that's key to a character, a sound effect um, into the music. <laughs> This is another tune that I've never played this game. I heard a remix of it, then went back and listened to the original and was amazed by a game this old of how epic. I love epic pieces. And <laughs> for a game this old to get this epic feeling out of me when I haven't even, I don't even have nostalgia glasses on for this. It's nostalgia headphones. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I never played it. So a lot of times, you know, I'll be partial to a piece of music because I felt awesome during that point in the game. So the music sort of comes along with that, but no, this is just that cool. DuckTales, the video game. <laughs> what is this song? The moon theme? The moon theme. I get the feeling from its track 8 out of 13 that it's probably during a pivotal moment towards the end. Um, that's, that's the emotion I get from this. I don't know for sure, but maybe someone who's played this game can tell. It is epic. It is epic. That's and cool. There's been so many really cool remixes that, you know, that's how I found it, that do the fully orchestrated thing behind it. But it, when I went back and played the original, it still sounded 
so cool. So that's one of my faves. So really quickly on the song, it reminds me of the Shovel Knight soundtrack. I'm sure the Shovel Knight pulled heavy inspiration from this. That's exactly right. So it is it's kind of like um, a looking back and purposefully doing this again. So it's not really surprising to make that connection, but there are several points in Shovel Knight where you could just throw the song in there. I think it would work pretty well. So yeah, good example. Okay, back to songs that I've actually heard while playing the game. I have talked about Journey before on this podcast and how awesome it is and how it's a literal journey up a mountain and it's really atmospheric. Um, there's not much distraction. It's really, you're just supposed to really sink into the, the settings as you're going up the mountain and as they gradually change, as you get higher and higher, you es- escape the desert and go up the mountain. I think probably the two biggest things that gradually change over the course of your playtime that do a great job of making you feel like you've gone such a long way when in reality you probably can spend an hour to two hours and beat this game is the color grading. They do a wonderful job of slowly transitioning from like these bright yellows in the desert to cold blue white mountaintop um, and Mm. the music. It has a sense of loneliness. Um, You're by yourself in this game other than the if you turn on multiplayer and you can get I've talked briefly about this before, but you can get a random anonymous player that's with you, but because you can't talk to this player, it's still this sense of it's either you or the two of you in this alone. Um, you're going through ruins up the mountain, very, very alone. And I don't think like, I can handle this game. Yeah, you need to play this game, it's really good. Uh, <laughs> it's, the music does such a good job of, it's not outright telling you what the story was of the ruins you're going through. They give you hints and drawings, like, is it pictographs? Uh, hmm. Drawings, old drawings on walls that, you know, they're very stylized, so sometimes it's hard to pick up on what they're saying, but a lot of it is up to you to interpret of what happened. And the music does a good job of helping you get there, of telling that narrative. It's very peaceful, and I would say it's trans-like in the complete opposite uh, side of the spectrum from Doom. <laughs> uh, it's You're in a very peaceful, meditative state. Even when you come across enemies closer to the end, and there are be- beasts that will try to get you, at no point, like yes, they, they amp up the stress, but I still f- never felt like I was broken from that trance. and. I, I think a lot of it goes, a lot of that credit goes to the music. The way you move across the sand and snow in this game is very dance-like. Um, you're gliding and then you're floating through the air with the power of your scarf. Uh, there's always constant movement. It's rare if I just, sometimes I just stopped and stood and took in the environment around me. It was that beautiful, but it, always, it also had that sense of constantly moving constantly being on that journey Mm. Uh, the whole soundtrack's about an hour long so i'm gonna skip around just so you can sort of get little pieces of the journey along the way
we're gonna skip forward to where things get a little bit exciting and you realize that you can fly and glide down these sand dunes. So there's plenty of moments in this that it, the tune changes to fit whatever new environment you're in. You feel like an explorer, it's great. As you skip further and further down the soundtrack, it gets a bit more tense, a bit. <laughs> Good God. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting because there's no start and stop to this music really it's just it's it's almost like the frog in the boiling pot you don't realize how hot it is until you're in it and you just take a moment you're like oh my gosh what's happening hmm. oh okay and then at the very end this game is very much very cyclical so it'll stick you back at the beginning of the game from the when you reach the end but that whole moment they play out like a credit sequence sort of like they backtrack of the entire journey you took and that's when they bring in vocals um this beautiful singer and i think vocals across the board i think are very very important and you shouldn't throw them in lightly the minute you're throwing a human instrument i think says a lot whether it's i think we said this in another podcast but it's going down when a choir comes in right when you have that single woman doing almost an opera like song. It always makes me reflective. That's just what I get when I hear that. seeing a male by himself singing uh what's the most recent video game i can think of for that oh skyrim <laughs> so that was such a strong part of that soundtrack and it related mm -hmm. to 
the, the game mechanics itself with the, the dragon roars. Dova King! Yeah. Dova King! <laughs> so good. It's like power and strength, and that that's what that elicits from me. So I think the fact that they threw in a, a woman vocalist at the end here, um, it purposely made me think, oh, okay, so it's time to reflect on the journey I just went on. It's beautiful, and I recommend you take a whole thing. You either play it, I think first you should play it if you can, um, but if you can't, listen to the soundtrack, and I think you'll get a similar feeling anyway. That's cool. Even just the little bits that you just played, I'm hearing a lot of variation, mm-hmm. so it fits my subjective preference for that. So you were saying that there are tracks that are tied to specific locales in the game. Mm-hmm. Are they... Remember how last time we were talking about things getting a, a, a little bit tropey? Yeah, not that at all. Okay. Because this whole mountain, this whole desert to mountain journey, it doesn't feel like like with Zelda, there's a certain section of the world that's specifically mountain, and there's a certain section that's specifically desert. Here, it's it's a gradual change. It's not abrupt at all. And, you know, as you're playing, sometimes you won't even realize the change. That It's like, oh, 20 minutes ago, I was surrounded by very, like, yellow hues and deserts and columns and now I'm like in an underground cavern it's very blue and purple it's all gradual this game is very gradual Okay, I'm gonna finish off with one of my guys. So I said, set aside Xenoblade X earlier. We're gonna bring it back. Oh, set aside, but not forgotten. <laughs> not forgotten. I always, when trying to describe to friends how this game fits in with the others, I describe <coughs> one and two as fantasy games turned sci-fi. And this is a game, X is a game that is sci-fi turned fantasy. And the music reflects that very strongly. This soundtrack is either loved or hated by Xenoblade fans. And I there's more songs in it that I love than hate, so it falls on my love side. But any of you who don't know, the main draw of this game is you've escaped Earth because of an alien invasion. You land, you crash land on a planet, an alien planet. Um, and basically the game is you learning to survive, explore the planets and um, it's very tech heavy. Uh, one of the main goals of this game is to acquire a skill unit, which is basically a giant Gundam, <laughs> a so giant cool. robot that you pilot. They're massive and they make traveling the world extremely fun. So if you're gonna have that as a main system in this game, you need music that accurately reflects that. And they do that wonderfully by mixing, like I said earlier, orchestra with electric guitar, rock band sounds. This composer likes to mix Japanese, English, and German all in one. Okay. That makes for a fun experience. (laughs) Um, I personally love that because I don't like when lyrics get in the way of the music, in my opinion. Mm. Um, A lot of times I don't even register what people are saying. I, I just, I hear it as another instrument, another sound. 
and when I'm listening to something that's Japanese or German and I don't understand it, it's really no different than English to me. The interesting mix there of cultures fits so well with this game because you're, as you explore the world, you meet other alien species, um, and it's sort of a game of learning to integrate those aliens into the human world, or the human city that you've established, and learning to all get along. All these different cultures start getting integrated. Really fun little side note, like when you invite a certain alien species to live with you in your city, you start seeing certain people, their outfits changing that reflect like maybe that alien style. You know, the, the atmosphere changes. It's awesome. And the music helps with that. I think if you threw me right into that that hook at the end, I would say, oh, this is messy. Like, I don't, there's so many different musical elements in here. Like, let me, I have to start trying to pick it apart. But with that really long ramp, um, they started with some techie sounds. Then they threw in some guitar. Then they threw in, they threw in the strings and the orchestra. And then they started giving, you know, some solo time to either the electric guitar or the orchestra, there's some horns in there, and they just start stacking and stacking and stacking. So it gives you an adequate amount of time to register that sound and then put it in the background, and then they stack more and more. And so by the time you get to the hook, by the time you are in that skill and flying off into the air, it just sounds epic. And that's really, really bland word for me to use, but that's just, if I had to describe this theme, I would describe it as epic. I feel epic as I'm exploring this world in this awesome giant robot, flying robot. And I feel like all the different elements that are stacked are different elements you're getting in the game. You're getting that techie feel and, I don't know, maybe you might have a better descriptor for this, but it's not just, it's not clean tech. It's like discordant, yeah. chopped up people who intentionally glitch music. That's what it sounds like to me. And that's appropriate because this entire city is glitching and they're trying to fix it, so. Um, it's constantly, it's a game about survival. The strings bring in that story element to me, and then the electric guitar, the rock band, is very character driven in my mind. Mm, just sends it right over the edge. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so you, you just you have to go listen to the whole soundtrack at some point because you'll have a song like this in, in the, the last podcast I played the the new LA song that I hate so much and you'll have oh, a song God. like that like back to back <laughs> in the same soundtrack I'm like how the whole soundtrack is like that it's all over the place but what's great too that you know not all soundtracks do this but I love it when they do is like you have a theme like this there's also a version that's a somber version there's a version that has vocals to it that's a ballad
there a lot of the main themes in the song have three or four variations of it hmm. and remixes of itself so that's that's always fun if you're in a mood you can go pick your melody pick the mood <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i'll probably come back to the soundtrack if we have future podcasts that talk about cool songs yeah this is just one of those theme songs that does its job phenomenally yeah i like that you in sharing this that you kind of conceded that it's a little bit of a mixed bag if you look at the total project and the composition and the music but mm -hmm. It is a lot to like, you know, it's kind of just a comment about this entire conversation about video game music. A lot of stuff we're pulling out, everything we're pulling out we love. It's a lot to ask one or two or three, however many actual composers there are, but performers and whatever, to pull this off because, like, you can't just be a good musician. Mm -hmm. You have to understand on some level what's going on with the game. You have to understand on some level what's going on with the story if there is one and all this stuff to get it right, to where like when you're playing the game and the song comes in and it's supposed to feel epic, it does the exact thing it's supposed to do and it doesn't feel like it's filler. It doesn't feel like it's this is intentionally made to make you feel this way. It's like you actually feel it. Yeah. Um, I think there's, I don't know, there's like maybe a little bit of a magic element or like a unexplainable element to some of this stuff. It's like, even in an analyzing this stuff and we're talking about it, it's like, you know, you can pick it apart until it's like it's most bare bones and you fully understand it. But there is some element of it that's like sometimes doesn't make sense and it just works perfectly. I think about this a lot. I think about why I'm drawn. If I had a choice, if I had to listen to something, my first would be a video game soundtrack. The second would be a movie soundtrack. The third would be just, you know, uh, an album someone a musician just put out on their own and I think the reason I'm more drawn to video game and movie soundtracks is because with normal albums musicians put out a lot of times how you feel about a song is going to be affected by where you are in your own life at that point in time right or if you identify with a song because it relates to something that happened to you and you like that musical style with movies and especially video games where you're in it you're the one that's quote making the decisions they're specifically crafting these moments through the decisions you're making um, the gameplay the cinematics and then the music on top of that you're supposed to feel a certain way if you're not then that's a failure on their part i believe um, or ex you're extremely cynical <laughs> um, but uh so if it does its job if they do their job and it works, that music in my mind is permanently linked to that moment in the game or movie. So whenever I hear this and I go listen to specifically this theme, I'm not playing Xenoblade X, but I have that same feeling of like excitement and over flying around the game. And if I'm feeling really bored, maybe at work and I wanna you know, pump up the energy, I'm gonna go play a song from a game that's probably an overworld theme that's gonna make whatever mundane thing I'm doing feel epic. And I know other people have done that too. Um, Guilty. <laughs> so while musicians are hoping to convey a certain feeling through their music, game designers are purposely crafting these in a very specific way to make you feel that way. Which is it's really cool too about video games. Films is the same, but maybe there's a little bit of distancing in this just because like you're saying, you're asked to embody whatever your avatar is inside of a different world and you can access that same moment 
when you play the game at later points in your life and it will be contextualized by what's going on in your life and you'll interpret it slightly differently but the experience is the same so like if it's good I'm kind of stealing this from someone who's super famous so I have to say that I'm stealing it but I totally believe it if it's good it's good forever if it's okay why would you play it again mm. and I don't know I feel like a lot of the examples that we pulled from are triggering that whatever like deep crevice has been carved into our brain that's like mapped to the memory of when we first experienced that and we've yeah. like gone back and retreaded that a million times it's still really good i don't know it just says something about how it resonates with you in a way that's like why we're even doing this podcast yeah. like if we didn't have a bunch of those experiences to pull from we wouldn't have anything to talk about exactly so and comparing those experiences with others and what did you get out of it versus what i got out of it so much fun hopefully you all are getting something out of it too <laughs> yeah so george do you have any favorite songs you'd like to talk about so one of uh the tracks that i really like that kind of blew me away when i first heard it and i first actually played the game was the main track for ori and the blind forest which if you haven't played that game you should because it is an incredibly powerful piece of uh, storytelling um, and just the art form at its core so before i get into any more i will let everyone hear the music track First of all, I mean, the the feeling that I get like when I just if, you know, listening to the track alone is just like this is a grand, like majestic game. It's got a lot of like fantastical elements um, to it. And uh, the game as like, I guess, for people who haven't played it, um, you play this uh, little creature and you are immediately told this like kind of sorrowful story the forest is kind of dying and you're trying to figure out why it's dying the game is similar to you know it's a 2d uh, side-scrolling game um, that reminds me actually a lot of rayman the more recent iterations of the 2d side-scrolling rayman um, the art style is beautiful um it's very three-dimensional uh, they did a really good job with the backgrounds and they feel very like the world feels very real but yeah so i mean the music the the entire soundtrack is kind of got like that grand majestic scale to it and it's really hard to like put into words because this it to me it's like you really have to experience it to really understand how the music fits in with the world well if i can interject I have not played this game. I've definitely listened to the soundtrack because it's, it is beautiful. But something I picked out of that piece that immediately, when you were describing it, 
I was like, yes, check this, check that. The f solo female singing voice, whenever it's used in music, video game music tracks, to me, my mind either goes to like nature, mother nature, or sadness, like it's trying to make you feel sad and you like checked both off of those off in the description of this game. So very fitting. Yeah, it's it it grips you like it tears your heart out. But you're like, okay, you've punched me in the gut. Now I have to find yeah, I have to find the redeeming, you know, quality. I have to find out what's going on with the forest and do that. And what's really cool about the game and the music, you know, together is that you meet all of these other I'm gonna say a lot, but you meet a few other characters throughout the game that have that very warm, inviting feel that, you know, you establish these relationships very quickly with these characters. And the game does a great job of kind of weaving it has it starts, you know, sorrowful and that sort of stuff, but then you there's an excellent element of storytelling where people become that were like once bad or not so great, like you you get to see them come full circle and like come back, which is like the way that it does it is just it's it's absolutely amazing. So, Everybody loves a redemption story. Yes, it's uh, I thought it was interesting. It's kind of an unusual uh, stylistic choice with the female vocal lead because there's some phrasing in there that's like distinctly Celtic, and it's kind of subtle, but it's interesting. It's different. It's kind of cool. The yeah. only other place I can think of like that singular vocal female vocal is um horizon zero dawn that's a main part of their main theme sort of sounds a little bit similar and narratively it's not completely different yeah so at least the setup mm -hmm. kind of. yeah. and it's got like a certain like i feel like the approach that they took like the big overarching umbrella of this whole thing is it feels like very much like you're a child again and you're explore you have this like unbridled curiosity where you're going out and exploring this vast like unknown world and uh, it's just like this huge wondrous environment that is grounded in reality but there's a lot of elements that are very much fantasy based you know to it and they're coming out with a sequel which I will definitely be getting <laughs> The Willow awesome. of the Wisps <laughs> nice so. cool what else you got for us This one is another one of my favorite games, very different. The world is set in the future. It's like, if it were now, I guess it's like 30 or so years in the future. But as far as like sci-fi soundtracks go, um, I feel like this is the best one that I've heard. Um, as far as gaming music scores go, I just feel like the score and like almost all the tracks feel very distinctively unique but also very integrated into the world and I feel like the way that it was arranged and composed it's not there's there's several tracks on the the soundtrack that kind of what you said before about 
with Horizon Zero Dawn that the instrumentation and, and that sort of stuff that they use was not very traditional. Mm -hmm. And so there are several tracks in here that what they use is they use like a lot of sound effects and like phone calls and people talking and stuff like that to like make the the music oh, for some of the tracks. Yeah. Don't um, leave us hanging. What's the game? What game is it? It's Deus Ex Human Revolution. Cool. So this is it was really hard to pick a track um, because they're all just absolutely amazing. And if you haven't listened to it, you should definitely listen to it. Even if you don't play the game, because it's a very well done piece of art, is not the strongest track. If you were to listen to the soundtrack in its entirety, this one probably is kind of the middle ground in terms of like if you were to compare all the other uh, tracks. But I don't know, like f this one, this track when I heard it in the game, is when I was like, okay, I need to like actually go back and listen to the soundtrack. There's like two segments in the track where it has like these high notes that are played that almost sound like they're coming through a piano. I don't know what it is about it. I do. It's just... I was literally going to comment on that. So slight context on this. There's science to suggest that, not proving, but there's science to suggest that the music that you were into when you were in your like 11 to 13 year old range is a lot of what gets cemented as your preference later in life. So if you hear things that trigger that you were into at that certain stage of life as an adult, they're more likely to be like, oh yeah, I like that because it has this like deeply ingrained level of familiarity. You know what it sounds like a lot? It sounds like the airy, it's like a stacked synth piano thing. It's like this extremely reverby leads that are like the mid tone range stuff that was used in the prime series it's almost exactly mm. the same sound <laughs> i can see that yeah yeah and what game were you playing when you were 12 years old metroid prime yeah boom let's <laughs> just put that in the evidence pile <laughs> yeah it's cool though no yeah. when i heard that i was like i like it too <laughs> yeah that's cool i this is not an insult to the piece in any way i'm saying this as a compliment I got very zoned out and like very relaxed, mellowed out from that piece. <laughs> it is relaxing. There's like several tracks on there that are very light, much like that, where like, it's like a calming. Yeah, like, if I wanted to de-stress, that's what I would put on. And that makes me think, what are you doing at this part of the game where that's the background? Is it a mellower part or? It is a somewhat mellower part. You're you're investigating, if I remember correctly, you're investigating this facility and you had gotten a lead and so you're going to investigate this place because there's something promiscuous going on there and mm, promiscuity. Quite, yeah. And you're not quite sure what it is yet, but there's a big reveal later on in that level that kinda like, holy crap, what? Yeah. Wait, wait. Okay. I'm curious. Tell me, spoilers ahead, if you care. What, what's the big reveal? So, do you know anything? About nope. Okay. Um, Does it have something to do with mind control? No. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> so I was thinking if it <laughs> It's cleverer to the than music, that. What is... You're in this kind of like, I think it's a, like a newscast building. Mm -hmm. Early on in the game, you're introduced to this figure that is a news anchor. Mm -hmm. They're kind of like, the main news channel, I guess, for most everywhere you go. 
it's like the major news network it's straight up propaganda yeah on purpose yeah, yeah. they are supposed to i guess they're involved in this bigger conspiracy or so you think and so you're going to them to ask to get answers so you traverse this level and uh you get towards the end you find their office for this news anchor and you find out that they're not even a real person they're an ai Ooh. like a supercomputer mm-hmm. <laughs> and so and from what i remember too is that ai was corrupt and so it was feeding you know choice and select stuff to you know the the vast majority of of everyone well that works perfectly then because you know with propaganda and an ai controlling that propaganda it's that what's propaganda supposed to do keep the population in the yeah. state you want it to be mm-hmm. very controlling a trance yeah. if you will yeah. Yeah. yeah good call cool um <laughs> <laughs> But the way that it is like revealed that they're an AI is pretty freaking awesome because they use a hologram and you, for all you know, intensive purposes, think, oh, it's a real person, and then you like get mad at them or something like that. I think I can't remember how it exactly goes down, but I think you get like mad and you try to like swipe at them, and your hand like goes through them. The particular world for Human Revolution is like this darker, because like the whole game plays out at night. Like there's no daylight in the entire game. Oh, I take that back. There is daylight in the entire game, but it's at like sunset is usually when, you know, the daylight parts take place. And it's a fairly dark uh, storyline too. the entire world is, you know, been has come to the point where they're embracing human augmentation. And at least for a human revolution, I thought they did a very good job with playing on what would be the common challenges that people would face when we got to that stage and we have you know implant implants and that sort of stuff now but it's nothing on the level of you know human revolution they're genetically modifying babies now in china you like yep. that no yep. it's the first that's literally part of the story of day sex it's yep. like the precursor to all this mm-hmm. stuff going down um, and then there's, you know, the rejection of human augmentation because, you know, your body isn't, you know, coping with the, the new parts and all that kind of stuff. And you have to take certain medication and that sort of stuff. And anyway, yeah. So class so battle it's this dark too. dystopian. And then yeah. you have corporations that, you know, manufacture these augmentations that are kind of, I don't want to say necessarily as powerful as like government, but are very powerful entities. Very well done game, beautiful yeah. soundtrack. It actually won an award for like best for that year. It was best like game soundtrack for that nice. year. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Now it would be a disservice if I didn't um, rant on Hellblade and not have a track for Hellblade. Let's hear it. don't know anything about the game what would you think after listening to that track well i'm gonna go back to that you like those single singing ladies don't you (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) even better if they're australian (laughs) (laughs) i i felt very like it felt wistful bringing up again like sorrowful like 
It definitely has that sense of longing. So Mother Nature's back, but this time she's demented. No, I know too much about this game to answer that question. I'm sorry. I can't. That's okay. This is another game that's like very heavily story driven. Um, it's only, you can only play in single player. There's no multiplayer aspects to it. And it's best played with headphones. And I would, uh, I would argue to say too, that if you don't play it with headphones, you're not going to get the same experience. Why is that? Because the game uses binaural sound. So in a sense, it's like three-dimensional sound. So you have sounds or sound effects and dialogue and, and that sort of stuff that doesn't happen like the typical stereo left and right. You have stuff that's in front of you, behind you, slightly to the left and behind you, really close to you, really far away from you. And the game is about, I guess like at its core, it's about psychosis mm -hmm. and mental illness. But it's done through the lens of, you know, this game that is a very immersive experience. And it's put through the lens of you play this Celtic warrior who travels to this kind of faraway land to save the soul of her lover from hell, basically. But the, the so you play as this woman, you know, for the entire game. But she is someone without giving too much away who suffers you know on some degree throughout the game the game relies very heavily on these voices that play well, it almost i wouldn't say they're alternate personalities but they're voices that constantly play throughout uh, the game whether you they will tell you stuff about like where you are and like where you're going stuff about the world stuff about the character that you're playing as um, they will try to confuse you. They will try to discourage you. They will try to encourage you. And so it's this mixed hodgepodge uh, stuff. It makes sense when you actually play it because it flows smoothly. But um, when you do certain actions, because there's puzzles and there's also a little bit of combat in the game, they, if you make a mistake or something, they will chastise you for you know making a mistake. Uh, if you do something right, they may question your choices or they may encourage you, um, maybe both. And it's very, very high quality sound. It, I've multiple times like turned my head like around because I, I actually thought somebody was like whispering to me from behind. <laughs> no. Um, Am I here? Is this from the game or is this in my own head? Yeah. Mm. No, I'm crazy. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then as far as like, the world that you are in is like, I mean, you are kind of, you are alone and you feel alone. And I know. Don't remind me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except for the voices that are in your head. Are I picked this track about? because I think it does a, a good job. If we had listened to the whole track in its entirety, it does a good job of without if you didn't have any pre preconceived notion of like what the game was, I feel like you could get a very good idea of what the game is. So all those different aspects of the game you were just talking about, they come through stylistically mm -hmm. in this one track. Yeah. So when is this track used in the game? If I remember correctly, either this or a slight variation of this is used in a part that's actually a happy part in the game. And doesn't sound very happy. You gotta play the game. No. <laughs> uh, Maybe longing for a happier time. <laughs> or no. times past? 
Yeah. Uh, Recollection. I don't know. I haven't played this game. (laughs) I don't know. There's just something about using female vocals. Just gets you every time. Cool. Thanks for sharing, George. That was awesome. That was great. It was great hearing those. Good examples. Your opinions on video game music. Yeah. (laughs) We're probably going to end up coming back to this topic because it's such a deep well of of content but uh for now we should wrap it up move on but i just sort of wanted to get a little bit reflective about video game music here at the end of this podcast it's something that i think is most video gamers will say is such a large part of a video game and i'm really glad that video game developers that make the games of course you know they put a lot of love into it but they've recognized that we appreciate it just as much. And we've seen really cool things come out of it. We've seen orchestrated soundtracks come out of games. We, we now have live touring concerts. I can list off, there's of course the Zelda Symphony of the Goddesses. There's I think a Pokemon one, a Kingdom Hearts one, just general video game mel- medleys have been played by like the London Symphonic Orchestra. I love listening to that. Video game music is something that's not brushed under the rug. It's it's acknowledged by everyone in the gaming community as something that's really important and cool, and it's appreciated. I'm so happy for that. The last few special edition games I've gotten have come with like a soundtrack CD or flash drive uh, in it. It's like almost as valuable as having an art book in in the bundle, which I think is so cool. Just give me that that pure lossless <laughs> wave file. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm. I really hope this this trend of awesome video game music keeps keeps going, and we'll have a bunch of new new songs to talk about in the future. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. See you next time.